and welcome to the She Will Shine podcast. My name is Danielle Price and I'm the founder of She Will Shine, a community for Australian women in small business to connect and support each other. In this podcast, we bring you the real stories of women in small business. We discuss their unique journey to small business success. We dig deeper into their story, the challenges they've faced and the support that has played a vital role along the way. And they share with us their business expertise and knowledge so that you can do the same. It's time to chat candidly about creating and building a business on your own terms. Hi and welcome to the She Will Shine podcast. My name is Danielle Price and I'm the founder of She Will Shine. And today we are very excited to have the lovely Stacey Price here. Hi Stace. Hello. Hi everyone. And Stacey is the founder of Healthy Business Finances. She's an accountant and bookkeeper, and she's fabulous, let me tell you. But um, we're going to find out about Stacey's story and how she came to, um, to run a business. So Stace, let me think and kind of go back to you working in corporate accounting in the city, in yep. Melbourne. I've always worked in accounting for a long, long time. Um, I had two children and I was working in corporate in the city and I was made redundant. So I guess... At which, what point was um, this? So I was made redundant after my first child um, when I was on maternity leave and then I found another job, uh, went back to work and I was made redundant for a second time. So I guess the first time hit really hard. Um, I'd never faced that before and I didn't expect that that was coming. Um, and I really loved my job. So I was excited to go back to it and try and juggle, um, naively, um, working and family and children and everything else. Um, so that hit pretty hard. Um, and there was a lot of confidence issues and it really made me start to question what had I done to make that happen. Um, as it turns out, there was nothing that I had done, but hindsight's amazing in those instances. So, um, I found another job in the city, found out I was pregnant, um, had James, my second child. And whilst I was on maternity leave, got the call about a restructure, even though there really wasn't one. And, you know, I guess I could have taken two options in that instance. I could have gone down the path. I went down the first time and got really upset about it and felt like it was a personal, not a personal attack, but a personal choice. Um, and I just thought, you know what, that's their decision. And I have to stand by that. And I just, I can either make it a really bad experience or turn it into something positive. So I literally came home from that meeting from HR and I could see the writing on the wall anyway. So I guess I'd almost, um, told myself that that was a potential outcome. So I came home exactly, and you know, I was still upset and it still hurt, but I came home and I had a cry and I thought, you know what, that's done now. I've got that out of my system and we need to move on. And, um, it was at that stage where I thought, well, how do I manage, what does the future look like for us as a family? So how old were the kids? So William was, um, just under three and James was about nine months. So still quite little. Um, I had already planned to put them back into childcare thinking I was going back to work part time. Um, and that wasn't going to eventuate. So I thought I've already locked them into childcare. So I've got two days a week where I can work. So I literally came home and thought I'll just work for myself. Um, Did you decide at any stage to take any action, like legal action with either of those um, The first time I did, um, the way that it panned out, they said it was a restructure, but the only thing being restructured was my job. The person that had backfilled for me 
while I was on maternity leave was staying in exactly the same role. So I felt that it wasn't a restructure. And I guess being in the finance industry, we have dealt with it for a lot of other people, which is not as scary as when it happens to yourself. And I thought, you know what? I just want to call it out. I want to call it out for what it is. Um, There's no restructure. I'm on maternity leave and I felt like I was an easy target. Um, The redundancy wasn't calculated correctly. There was... (laughs) Hang on. (laughs) They're saying that they've got an accountant and they've done the wrong numbers. Yeah, and then I had to have a meeting with HR and explain to them what they had done wrong with the redundancy. And there were so many things that just wasn't comfortable for me. Um, So we ended up going to Fair Work, um, having a mediation session. And at the end of the day... I guess the thing that hit home was when I went to fair work, they said to me, you won't be able to afford to fight this. Um, You know, I had a a brand new baby. I didn't have a job. I hadn't saved up a lot of money because I thought I'd be going back to work. Um, The whole thing was really, really stressful um, and really unpleasant. And to be honest, I didn't want my job back. I thought if that's the way they're going to treat their staff, I don't really want to be a part of it. So... Whilst it was a blessing, it did take me quite a while to feel like it was a blessing. So second time round, I thought, I don't want to be in that space again. Um, I don't want to have those feelings again. So let's turn it into something good, if possible. Um, And I'd, I'd had the vision that maybe one day I'd start a business, you know, when the kids were old enough and, I, and I've built up a little bit of money to really set that first couple of months up so that we weren't stressed financially. That all went out the window. So I literally came home and I said, well, let's do it. Yeah. The worst that can happen is it doesn't work and I go and get a job. And you know Um, better off than what you were at that point. No, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money coming in the door. The kids were in childcare, which we all know is drastically expensive. So I thought, let's make the most of those two days. And literally the next day, if someone said to me, what do you do? I said, I run my own business. Yeah. Um, got the ABN, did a really quick budget in Excel. Of course you did. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course I did. Um, worked out how many hours I could work on those two days. Um, it wasn't a full blown budget uh, or anything exotic. I just didn't have the time to do that. And then I started networking, I started going to events, I started training myself and doing all those things because I thought, now's the time I can do that and I need to try and make this work. Did you have any hesitation in that? Because it's quite confronting having to go and network and suddenly put yourself out there. Um, Not really. I don't think I had time to even think about it, to be honest, which, again, was probably a blessing. I think if I started now, I'd be such a planner and I'd want all the boxes ticked perfectly before I made that jump. So in a way, I had to learn a lot in that first 12 months. And I'd always worked in accounting, so people think, how do you not know how to run a business? No one in my family has ever run a business. No one in my extended family had ever really run a business that I was a part of or knew of. So whilst I know the accounting side, I think I was shocked at all the other bits and pieces that come with being a business owner. When you work in corporate, if your computer doesn't work, you ring IT. If you're hiring staff, you ring HR. If, I don't know, the printer's out of paper, you call someone. There's always someone there. Someone is there to fix it. You know, we don't have to do those things. So that was a shock to me. I just wanted to work with numbers and that's what I wanted to do. And I forgot that there was a lot of other stuff. So I just jumped in head first and thought, well, let's just, let's just sort it out. Yeah. And what did your husband think about all of it? 
Um, he thought it was great in the sense that, oh, she'll be home a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, I think he was probably a little bit naive in the sense that, yes, I'll be home a lot, but there's still a lot to do at home with the kids and also with running a business. Um, business doesn't switch off at five o'clock when the kids want dinner and it doesn't allow you to just, you know, if the kids are sick to swap things easily. In my instance, we had a lot of on-site clients, so I had to go on-site and help them with their system. So if the kids were sick, it was my role because I work part-time to look after the kids. So juggling that in those early days where you feel that you can't ask clients, can I swap days yeah. or, or can I change things was really difficult. Yeah. You're um, sort of saying yes to everybody, but not knowing yeah, how you're going to work around stuff. Exactly. And you want to build up a business. So ideally someone comes to you, wants to work with you, you say yes, and then you work it out. Um, which is great if you don't have other competing things, but when you have children and when you have a family and when you want to make everything the best that you can, I think it's sometimes it gets a little crazy. Yeah. A lot crazy. <laughs> it still gets crazy. <laughs> I know. I don't think that ever goes away, but I think you learn to manage it better. Um, the more years you're in business and you learn that you don't have to say yes to everything. Um, but you have to get to that point first, yes. I think. So at what point in the business you now have staff, what point, like how many years in did you sort of come to that realization that you needed the extra help? Yeah. So our business took off really quickly, um, which was great, um, quicker than I had expected. And I never wanted staff. I thought this is just a thing that I'm going to do and be in charge of everything. And I'm a bit of a control freak. So I don't like to outsource anything. That's what I said when I first started. <laughs> um, and I was probably 18 months into my business and things were just growing, you know, by 20 to 30% each year. So I kind of got 18 months in and I thought if we take on one more client, we won't be able to service them to the level that I want to service them at. And that I refuse to take someone on and do a half-assed job. So I thought we either get help or we have to start saying no. Um, and I have no problem with saying no, but it meant in our industry, if we say no to a client, they generally will go elsewhere and they won't come back. Yep. And, and that's perfectly fine, but it means it will stop my business growing yep. for a certain period of time. And I thought, you know what, I'm not really where I'm at or where I want to be at yet. Um, but I was working ridiculous hours with two small kids trying to work part-time it wasn't part-time in any How sense. How many days were the kids in care? Um, they started two days and I think by 18 months they were in five days. Yeah. So it had gone full-time pretty quick, but I would still do drop-off. I would do pick-up. I would do dinners, all those kinds of things because I was technically working from home. So there was still a lot to juggle. Um, and I thought something's not really working. Um, when I was with the kids, I probably wasn't the best that I should be with the kids because I had a lot of competing things going on. I couldn't switch off and I really started to hate what I'd created. Um, and I hated the fact that I had created this yeah. bigger you could, you than Ben-Hur. You couldn't blame someone else. No, it was all yeah. me. So I thought I either get help or I have to slow down. Um, and I'm not really one to slow down. So I thought let's get some help. So I hired my sister part-time. Um, she probably did about anywhere from three to six hours a week. She 
was smarter than me at school. She got higher grades in accounting. She never worked in accounting, but I thought, you know what, I can train her to do yeah. what I need her to do. Um, we use cloud programs. She doesn't need an office. Um, she just needs some time, which she had. So that was an easy way for me to ease in. Um, probably another six to nine months after she started, I really needed her to do more hours, yeah. which competed with her four children and her other commitments. And I felt like the relationship was getting a bit blurred with yeah. sister, employee, boss, well, family weird thing. arrangement yeah. thing. And she was on payroll. I was paying her. We were all above board, but it felt like I couldn't treat her like an employee. And if something was wrong, we had to have those hard discussions. So I thought, and I approached her and I said, look, the role is changing. It's growing. What is your capacity? And she knew that she couldn't have any more hours. So I had to dip my toe into hiring a complete stranger, which was more daunting than hiring my sister and having those hard conversations. But I thought, I've tested it. I know it works. It helps the business grow. So we hired another part-time mum who, again... So your sister was let go. So my sister, she was let go (laughs) amicably with There's no issues today. No, no, no. no. We still talk. It's all good. Um, And she knew that she couldn't commit. So, you know, I think she saw it coming, but none of us wanted to... It's a hard conversation. conversation. Um, So that was all fine. And I found another mum who, again, had children, still wanted to work in accounting, was a qualified bookkeeper. So had that extra set of skills that I was really after to manage more of the client interaction. And then it's kind of grown from there. So again, we started with three to four hours a week. And then that turned into kind of five to six hours a week, which turned into eight to 10 hours a week. Um, So stepping stones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think hiring any staff is such a big daunting experience and you want to make the right choice and you want to make the right choice for your business, your clients. They need to be able to cope with me working crazy hours and crazy schedules. So it's very difficult to find the right person. I remember, um, I've obviously known Stacey for quite a few years, um, you were tossing up between two women at one stage and one was perfect for the job on paper, but the other one you got along with when you met her yeah. as a, like a house on fire. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I've always, whenever I've worked in corporate and had to go for a job interview, it's always been based on your resume and it's always been based on who's got the highest marks, um, who's worked for the best firm, you know, that you have to do a skills test and a psychology test and all these tests. And I hate tests. Um, so quite often I would never get those roles because I would freeze and look at these tests going, I don't know which circle comes next, nor do I care which circle comes next in this test, right? For me, it's about, can they work with me? Can they work with my clients? Can we have a conversation? Am I going to be able to ask them to do certain things? And a resume and a skills test to me doesn't give me that answer. So I did have two candidates and I thought they would both be able to do the job. You know, they've both got the skills, they've both got the experience, but on paper, I can't decide. Um, so I met with both of them and we just went and had a coffee and had a chat. And it was so funny. The first person, again, she was lovely. Um, absolutely nothing wrong with her, but I felt like I just felt awkward yeah. in that coffee catch up. Um, and I felt like I was on a blind date, but a really awkward one. Whereas when I met the other person, as soon as I saw her, I was like, we were chatting about her kids. We yeah. were chatting about her role. And 
it was like it wasn't even a job interview. Yeah. It was just a catch up with a friend. And I came home and I was like, she's a little bit more expensive. But I said, I can't stop that feeling in my gut knowing that she's the one that I need. Yeah. Um, best decision ever. Yeah. Like amazing. And I just thought, you know what? On paper, she probably didn't look like the right fit. But in person, she was brilliant and she stayed with me for two and a half years before she got another role closer to home and more hours which I knew that she would eventually want but I would never change that decision in how I chose her. So therefore if you've had a a few employees that you've got on board now since then have you always trusted your gut in the same way because of it? Yeah and it's so funny I must admit I made a mistake and didn't trust my gut once I had my lovely employee, Shelly, went on maternity leave. This is way back in the early days, and we needed a replacement for six months. And a friend of a friend was a bookkeeper, and she was studying accounting. And on paper, she had more skills than what I needed. And I thought, gosh, she's going to be bored. Had a chat with her, and I was like, I just don't get that feeling yeah. that I got with the, the others. The fuzzies. But I was like, it's six months. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And I, I swear that was six months of hell. Yeah. Um, lovely lady. Absolutely, absolutely lovely. I just don't think she was cut out to work for a small business that had a lot of things going on. Um, and we get, you know, 17 tasks in the space of 10 minutes because people will ring up or email. And sometimes you have to drop things and do it and understand what's urgent and what's not. And we just didn't get that yeah. cohesiveness. And I think clients could tell, which was, which was disappointing from my end. Um, but I just didn't trust my gut. Yeah. And I thought, you know what it will do and it will solve a short term problem. And it didn't really. So more problems. Yeah. Um, you know, and it got to the stage where I was like, Oh, you know, I've only got one month to go. Yeah, that's that feeling that you think, gosh, I've made a really bad decision, but I can see the end of the tunnel. And ever since then I've gone, you know what? The paper to me and a resume, it's it doesn't mean much to me. I like to know that they want the job. Um, I can tell that by a covering letter, yeah. not by a resume. So we then reverted back and went, I need to have a meeting with them. I need to get them to write me a letter as to why they want the job. I need to see their personality and I need to know that they're going to fit in with our clients and with me. Yeah. Cause if that doesn't, it's going to impact on everything yeah. else. Yeah. And cause as well, you're not the average <laughs> accountant and bookkeeper. Status. I hope you mean that in a good way. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny because in the corporate world, most times you interview or you hire people, you don't even meet the people that you're working with. You meet a HR team, you might meet a manager, but when you work, you don't really discuss anything with the manager. So you end up getting hired by people that you don't work with. And I thought in our business, there's me. Yeah. If you can't get along with me and realize that, you know, I'm not great at admin or, or I sometimes I'm doing 75 things at once and it might take another day for me to respond, then it's not going to work. So I almost need someone that's kind of as crazy as me, but also so passionate about numbers and going, look, you know, we still want to do a really good job, but we're not going to be a corporate accountant sitting in a high rise office in Collins street. That's not what we are. Um, so, you know, my team work from home and they're active wearing their Ugg boots. You know, I couldn't care less as long as they get the job done and that they get the information from the clients. And if they're not willing to speak to clients, if they're not willing to chase things up, if they're not willing to, learn a new system or a program it's not going to work yeah so we need someone that thinks outside the box yeah and what i love about that stace is that you've um sort of shunned what's expected 
And it's so funny because when I first started way back when, I thought I had to be that. We all do. You know, we all go through that. Accountant. Yeah. And I still remember my first website and thank God nobody can see it now because it was that corporate website with the, with the headshot, with the white background and, you know, sitting there and I had a suit jacket on I think I remember that and I don't think I've worn a suit jacket in about 15 years. So where I pulled one from to get a photo, I have no idea, but I thought that's where I've come from. People want that because I didn't know anything else. That was still back in the day where we had accounting software and we installed it on a disc on our computer. You know, it's so changed. And I think it's, it made me realize when I started attending those networking events and I spoke about what I do, I was like, I'm not that corporate. And I'd meet other accountants. I'm like, geez, I'm so not like you. Did you struggle with that? Big time. Yeah. Because I felt like it almost like I can't say that I'm an accountant because I don't wear a suit. I don't have an office. I work kind of part-time crazy hours around my family. Um, some of our clients we've never met, yep. like we've physically never met clients we've worked with for three years. Um, if they walk past me in the street, I wouldn't know who they were, but we deal with them online so frequently. And I was like, that's not an accountant. Like, yep. What is that? The accountant is the person in the suit with the briefcase, with the office that you see once a year. So I really struggled going, well, am I an accountant? Technically, yes. But is that what my clients see me as? And probably not. Um, they see me as the person just to sort all their crap out, yeah. you know, to sort their problems out, to sort their systems the out. They're godsend, but yeah. their numbers. You know, but as soon as I say I'm an accountant, pe- the first thing people say is, you don't really seem like one. Yeah. And I take that as the biggest compliment. Yeah. Because I think I don't see myself as one either. How many years do you reckon it took you to accept oh. that? I reckon at least the first 12 months, at least, probably longer, to be honest. Um, And even now, sometimes I'm like, gosh, I'm, you know, not that I forget that I'm an accountant, um, but when I say it and people are shocked, I'm like, oh yeah, I forget that you still think an accountant is someone who sits in an office in a suit and is scary or is not very friendly or they're going to tell you off. And we completely take the other route and we're like, we will sit down with you and we will help you and we'll understand and we'll do a Skype session or a Zoom session or we do them after hours. And people are like, really? Like, accounts don't do that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but... That's who we are. Why? That's just what we do. It just makes my life easier. So I think it's nice to break down that perception that the accountant is not the scary old suit wearing... (laughs) Man with great hair. (laughs) And that's such a stereotype, but that's really what people, what people still expect. see yeah um you know and they and they want to see them once a year yeah you know that's what they think an accountant is whereas i think there are still some people like that but there's so many more that are really hands-on yeah. and available and approachable and non-judgmental and all of those things people are looking for yeah that's what they're craving. Well, I think it is because they start a business and they're like, well, I don't want to go to my accountant and ask them about an ABN. Like they're not going to, you know, that's a stupid question yeah. to ask. So then they don't ask. And then the next thing is like, oh, I think I need to register for GST, but I don't want to ask my accountant yeah. because they're going to think that I should already know yeah. that because I'm already in business. And also I'll just kind of sort it out somehow and it turns into a mess, but that's okay. They'll just yeah. fix it at the end of the year. And then like, oh, I've hired staff and I don't really know what that means, but I'll do it and I'll sort it out and they'll just fix it. And that's where the problems all And then they, start. you know, at the end of the financial year, 
then they go and see the scary old bald man in the office <laughs> and they're like, that was a really crap experience. Yes. And it's like, okay, so maybe you need to rethink who you need along that journey to go, okay, well, maybe we still speak to an accountant at the end of the year, but maybe we have someone during the year support through that you year. Know, to help with those things. And they can pick up the phone and you can send an email and it's not a judgmental thing. It's a, hey, I think I might need to register for GST. And I'm like, yay, well yeah. done. You know, your business has grown. That's amazing. You know, it's a totally different conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, what I wanted to speak about was that... 18 months ago so you were living in melbourne <laughs> in the burbs but what yeah. 20 minutes what 10 15 kilometers away yeah. from the city and so servicing clients all over melbourne and you decided to have well, you and your family decided yeah. to make a tree change that's right and move to ballarat crazy crazy yes. but that's a big decision especially yeah. when you're running your own business yeah um it's funny we get asked this all the time um and people feel that Ballarat is the end of the earth. And I think when you are in <laughs> Melbourne, you get so used to being close to everything, yeah. even though from one side of Melbourne to the other could take me an hour and a half in the car. And Ballarat to Melbourne, maybe an hour and 20. You know, I, I time it so that I'm not in peak hour, yeah. hour and 20 to the western suburbs of Melbourne. So I used to have a client in Richmond and I was in the western suburbs of Melbourne. So some days it could take me two hours to get home. It's quicker for me to go in the car from Ballarat to Melbourne than it was to go from my home to that client. Yeah. And I was doing that two days a week. So when we're in Melbourne, again, we're working crazy hours to try and juggle everything. So I would drop the kids at school or childcare in the morning, depending on where they were at. And so I would see them in the morning. I would generally work till say six, meaning I was home about 7.30. So um, it just got to the point where I thought, why did I start this business? And the whole thing was I wanted to try and have it all, which, don't you know, know. what is it all? Yeah. We don't know, but we try and do it. So I thought, you know, we're not really seeing the kids. We're living in, let's just say, a renovator's delight of a house, <laughs> uh, which we'd never really renovated, nor was it a delight. Um, you know, we're living close to the city, which was great. We didn't really have family close to us where we lived in Melbourne. So that wasn't really a decision. Hubby was working crazy hours because he would pick up the kids because I would drop them off. So we were trying to do... Um, Just long days then for the kids yeah, at childcare and school. Yeah. So they were there pretty much from seven in the morning at childcare till six or school and then they'd have aftercare. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it, what we had to do to make it work. Um, but we kind of realized it, I think it was around Christmas one year and everyone was off on holidays and really enjoying some downtime and he's us hustling to get everything done yeah. and, and, and doing crazy things. And I just thought, you know what, this is not what I signed up for. Um, we're not enjoying any real aspect of our life. So something has to change. And it was one of those hard conversations where I thought, how do I bring that up without sounding really cynical? And then I don't love what we do and the children and everything else. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Like, and so I sat down and I said, oh, I don't think I want to live here anymore. And thankfully my husband was like, no, neither, neither do I. So you're both thinking So I think we were both thinking yeah. it, but neither of us wanted to admit that maybe something needed to change. And that's I, a big, big change too, because it means taking kids out of school and all this sort of yeah. stuff. So I think that was around December, January. And by September that year, we'd sold the house. And... December that year we'd bought in Ballarat. Yeah. So within 12 months, we'd kind of made the decision, jumped in and just committed to it. Um, and we didn't really know where we were going to move to. Um, 
And everyone says, why Ballarat? Did you pick it because of the schools or did you pick it because of, I don't know, the lake? I don't know. And I said, we literally got a Melways. Yeah. And we said, we still want to be close enough to Melbourne to work, see clients, go to the footy, um, do things if we wanted to in Melbourne. And we literally drew a circle and went, probably an hour and a half is the max that we yeah. want to be away from Melbourne. And so it needs to have good train links, needs to have a good business community. Yeah. So I thought hopefully, you know, I'll get involved in the local community. It does need to have good schools. Um, at that stage, our son was going to be in prep the year that we moved somewhere. Your second son. Yeah. Second son. So I thought wherever we move, at least he will start his school yeah. year somewhere. William was going to be in grade two. So I thought he's not, you know, he doesn't have... 14 year old friendships that we're breaking I'd rather do it sooner than later and we literally looked at the map and went where can we get the best bang for our buck you know again we had a bit of a spreadsheet let me just just (laughs) tell everyone that both you and your hubby are accountants yes (laughs) we're both in the finance world so for us it wasn't just about you know what could we get for our money but what kind of house could we afford what kind of suburb were we living in we wanted something we didn't have to renovate because neither of us are DIY enthusiasts. So to be able to buy, you know, a 10 year old house that was, you know, immaculate compared to what we were used to have good schools, good transport, good things for the kids to do on weekends and activities still within an hour and a half of Melbourne. Um, you know, it just kind of ticked all the boxes for us. Um, so that was great. Kids started school. All was amazing. Very big community feel, which is what I've missed living in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I think the week... You're a country girl at heart. I am a country girl. So I'm originally from Mildura and I'm used to, you know, you go to your friend's house for a swim after school or, or you go play tennis at the next door neighbor's house or you, you play cricket down the street and you have a street party at Christmas. And I think in Melbourne, we didn't even know our neighbors on one side and we'd lived there for seven and a half years. Um, we knew neighbours on one side because they were younger and they were um, a bit more friendly and we saw them coming and going. But I think within the first week of moving to Ballarat, I think the neighbours on both sides had come over to say hello. The neighbours across the road had come over. Um, you know, they, they introduced themselves and it was completely different. completely different. And I thought when you have young kids, that to me was, it just was such a good feeling. Yeah. It did mean a few changes though. So now I generally work nine till three because I take the kids to school and I pick them up. So I was concerned how that would impact on the business going from working a ridiculously long day and being able to obviously service clients in a longer period to going, look, we're only working nine till three. Will people feel that that's not enough? Um, Will that be enough for me? Um, by the time you do all the extra things in business, yeah. there's not a, not a lot of time between nine and three to, to do things. So that was another factor of getting the full-time admin person because I thought there's still a few hours in the yeah. day that we need we need a helping hand. Um, and it's funny, we're leading into end of financial year and, of course, I look at my numbers and not from a, a dollar point of view but just to go, how has my business grown? And I think um, – you know, we've surpassed our sales targets this year by $25,000, which was still $25,000 higher than last year. So to think that we've been in Ballarat for 18 months now and business has grown. Um, and I think I've only got two clients in Ballarat. So our clients are still all over, over, you know, we don't really limit to a location and with Zoom and Skype and Zero and Myob and all those programs, it doesn't really matter yeah. where we are. Um, 
or how we service the clients. So that shocked me though. I did think things will slow down. Um, I keep saying that never quite happens, which is a blessing, but it's interesting to think that when I say to people now I'm in Ballarat, they're like, oh, you're a rural business or you're a regional business. I was like, well, for me, it's just a business. And it's the same. You're still servicing the same clients. Nothing changes, you know, and and half of our clients probably didn't know where we lived beforehand. Um, You know, they knew where we were in Melbourne, but Melbourne's a big thing. So, you know, we, I mean, we've told them we live in Ballarat, but from their point of view, they're like, well, we're probably just going to yeah. email you or call you anyway. So nothing's changed. Nothing's really changed. I guess we've tried to be a bit more involved in the local business community in Ballarat, and they've got a great commerce Ballarat, yeah. which has a lot of events and things. But again, when you only work nine till three, it really limits yeah. what you can and can't attend. So um, it's been interesting. I yeah. thought it would have a little bit of a negative impact just based around the hours, but we've actually seen the Grown. opposite, which is interesting. So you don't regret it at all. No, Um, it's funny, like I thought when we first moved, we thought we'll give it a year, you know, like if we don't love it, we move, it's a house, it's not life-threatening, it's not the end of the world if we don't love it, Um, as long as we're happier as a household, then it ticks a few more boxes for us, Um, and to think that we've now been there 18 months, we haven't even had time to stop and think about it, Um, so for me, that's a good indication yeah. i think if we had to stop already. and go yeah. oh i don't know if we've made the right decision yeah. that would indicate we probably haven't yeah but the fact that we've been there 18 months and not once have we kind of sat down and thought gee why have we done this yes. it's just business as usual yeah. you know the kids jump on the trampoline and wave to the next door neighbors yeah. kids they walk to school they ride their bikes in melbourne we wouldn't have been able to do that yeah. where we were living so it's nice to feel part of a community but yeah. still run my business exactly yeah. how it was so what's next? What's next? That's interesting. So I've got a little project on the go now. So historically in our business, we've always dealt with business owners to yeah. help them with their numbers. So this year, what we've done is we've already launched one course, yeah. an online training course, which is aimed at helping bookkeepers and accountants really deliver a service to their clients yeah. that, that's coming up. So we've already launched that, which was a big thing. And that's been amazing. So we've got one other launch coming Coming. this year. So watch this space. Watch this space. And it's also going to be delivered to accountants and bookkeepers. So I really think there's a bit of a missing link in our industry in that we do a lot of accounting training and and tax training and practice management training. And that's designed to run our business better, but it doesn't help us with a lot of the tools that we need or how to be a better accountant that our clients want us to be. So we're releasing something hopefully in the next two, three months um, that's really aimed to help them get into the digital marketing space and really go down that route, which I think a lot of accountants are dabbling their toes in. But again, there's no real training for us to do that because it's it's not tax, it's not accounting. It's more how to be an accountant in the modern world and use those tools that are out there. So working on that in the next couple of months you know ideally i'd get it by one july it's not going to happen um so we're kind of hoping end of july august we launch that and that's really something i love to really give back to our community to kind of go this is how we can use tools out there to grow our business without having a a city office and all those kinds of things awesome so i'm gonna Watch with interest. I know. Yeah, I'm excited. I just think it's one of those things that it's an area of my business that I love. 
Um, and we get asked about it a lot. Yeah. Well, so, you're particularly good at social media. Yeah. So we often get asked, you know, how do you do it? How do you manage it? How do you have the time? All these questions. And I thought, you know what? There's something there. Yep. Um, and there's nothing specifically related to our industry out there. Um, so I thought, well, let's create it. That's it. Let's make it and happen. And you're the perfect person to make it happen. So you know what? I'm just living living yeah. by the seat of my pants at the moment yeah. and we'll just try and work it out. So It's really interesting, Sass, because what I love about what you do is you just try stuff. Yeah, and I think the longer you're in business, you just think, if I try it and it doesn't work, yeah. that's okay. Whereas I think when I first started and you went, I'll try this, oh, they didn't say yes. And you re- like, I would really take, take it, it to heart yep. and I would go, I've done something wrong or I didn't explain myself properly. And you'd go through all these negative feelings. Whereas now I'm like, let's launch this course. You know, I've got a goal of how many people I wanted to sign up. And with our existing course, I said, I want 20 people to sign up. I'm not a high achiever, right? 20 people. Yeah. That's all I need. It covered the cost of creating the course. And I felt like I was giving something of value. And I think we're up to 66 people yeah, that have signed up. So it's blown me away that there obviously was a need that was beyond what I thought there was. And we had all the, the content, so it wasn't a difficult decision. But I thought if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Like I haven't lost anything. Um, I've now got a resource to to show other people and that's what we're taking with our next project. I thought, you know, we've got a goal of how many people we'd love to help. But, you know, if, if we don't reach it, it's not life or death for us. It's still something that can sit there and be a resource. Um, or if it doesn't work, then we can make the decision to, to take it down and, yeah. and stop the sales page or whatever it is. But I think as a business owner, we've got that choice, you yeah. know, to, to stop or yeah. to start or to pivot or this to change okay. and just go, okay, it didn't work. Yeah. What do I do now? There's no bureaucracy that you have to go through. No. You just have to make a decision. Yeah. And I think the quicker you can make that decision, the better. Like I don't want to spend six months paying for a sales page and a landing page and this and that and everything else for something that's not working. I want to make a decision and go, we either cut it, we change it, we we do whatever we need to do. But let's not drag it on longer than it needs to be. We'll move on to the next project because I've got 50 million other things that I've got ideas about. I'm sure you do. I like... (laughs) Every time I speak to States, she's got something new to share. (laughs) I know. I can't help myself. So I'm really trying to focus this year and go, let's just launch one thing and get it over the line, get it out there the best that we can, and then do the next project rather than do them all at once. All right. Well, I'm going to watch with interest. (laughs) Watch this space with interest. But thank you so much for sitting on the couch with us today, Stace. Always a pleasure to chat. I know. I can't. I love it. Thank you for (laughs) having me. Anytime. But thank you as well to you for joining us and watching or listening. We will catch you next time on the She Will Shine podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to find out more about the She Will Shine community for Australian women in small business, head to shewillshine.com.au. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the handle shewillshine.com.au. And don't forget, if you like this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes. Join us next time for the She Will Shine podcast.